Okay, so this is the Lunch and Learn, the Know Thyself and Know Thy Relationship series for December 2011, titled, Dear God, I am so mad at you. I'll just read you the subtitles that went out with the invite. Faith can lead to anger. After all, God is responsible for everything happening to me. Faith, freedom of choice, predestined, and effort. It's also confusing, and especially so in times of pain. That was the title, and that's what we're talking about. Guys, for this lecture, a couple of introductions before we get right into the meat of uh, this topic. Number one, faith can lead to anger. That's what I said in the opening of the subtitle. So I just want to share with you a brief introduction, number one, that this class is not for the atheists. The atheists don't deal with this. Not because they won't believe the answer, I'm going to suggest. It's rather they won't believe the question. There is no question for them. There is no anger at God. This class is directed for those who do believe in God, do believe in divine providence, that everything is from above. They do believe in freedom of choice as God's gift and purpose to man. It is precisely because of these beliefs that you can get mad at God. If you believe that God uh, didn't do it, it's just, you know, you're an innocent bystander, a victim of circumstances, then okay, what do you want from God? But if you do believe in God, and you clearly believe that God is in charge of everything that happens, then we're going to deal with this issue. Well, if God is the reason that this happened, then we have a problem. You see, a lot of people have this answer when they talk about war. They come up with this line, God doesn't make war, humans do. Okay. But that is going to be a problem for someone that believes in divine providence. Where does it match then? So basically, this specific class and struggle is for people who definitely believe in God and definitely believe in God's detailed involvement in everything that happens to me in my life. So if someone does something to me, that person is just the server, the waiter, not the cook. So I could get mad at the person who did it to me, but if I stop and think that in my own personal beliefs, everything comes from God, so then why am I getting mad at this person? That's like, and many of us do this unfortunately, we're all macho, we're all you know tough, and we start screaming at the waitress that uh, this doesn't taste good, this is missing salt. What do you want from the waitress? We both know the waitress didn't cook this. So either deal with the boss or deal with the chef. But we don't do that. Now, for someone that believes that there is a chef, there is someone in control, there is a master to this entire world, so then why are we wasting time getting upset at the person who did it? We'll deal with the person who delivered it. But I know that it's God that ordained this to happen to me. i got to deal with that issue. Now, I want to share with you, while the atheist doesn't struggle with any of this, the believer has a very deep struggle with this. My father-in-law, blessed memory, his yard site is actually coming up, his 10th yard site is coming up in a couple of days. My father-in-law, blessed memory, once told me that Chassidim would say as follows. When a Rebbe is upset with a Chassid, it isn't pleasant. But when a Chassid is upset with the Rebbe, that is very bitter. You see, if I believe that God's upset with me about something I'm doing, it isn't pleasant. But the day that I get upset and mad with God, 
Now we have serious issues here. It's very difficult to live life that way. So that was introduction number one. Introduction number two. I mentioned before the recording opened up, I was just talking about today's day, the holiday of the 19th of Kislev. Today is the day that the Alter Rebbe was notified that he's released from prison. And I want to share with you one specific story that happened when he was released. The government officials, he was released from Zara's prison, and the government officials, they brought him to the right address, wrong apartment. In that address, there were two families, an upstairs and a downstairs. The upstairs was the home of an opponent of Hasidus, very, very against the teachings of Hasidus and the customs of Hasidus. Downstairs was a very, very strong Hasid of the Alter Rebbe, and with him was a group of Hasidim that were waiting for the Alter Rebbe's arrival. By mistake, there is, if you want to use the word mistake in a lecture about divine providence, the government officials took the Alter Rebbe upstairs to his opponent rather than downstairs to his chassid. The chassidim were waiting, where is he, where is he, where is he, where's the Alter Rebbe, where's the Rebbe? And finally when they realized what happened, they went storming upstairs and they heard behind the door how the opponent was screaming at the Alter Rebbe, attacking the Alter Rebbe with accusations against all his teachings, against all the customs the chassidim do. And when they charged through the door, they found the Alter Rebbe with his hands, one fist on top of the other fist on the table, and his head down on his fist, and they saw that he was in great pain. Later on, the Alter Rebbe would say that that time, that hour or so, that he was by in the house of the opponent was more painful to him than the 53 days he spent in Zara's prison. His successor, five generations later, the sixth Lubavitcher Rebbe has a whole talk about that statement. What does that mean? Alter Rebbe's don't throw poetics. If he said that that hour was to him more painful than the 53 days in prison, that's exactly what it was. The previous Rebbe explains this, and upon his explanation is primarily what I based a huge part of today's lecture. So that was introduction number two. Last introduction. Last introduction I'm going to call layers. Why am I calling it layers? When you study Talmud, when you study Kabbalah, when you study Hasidus, you'll find that there are disputes amongst the sages where literally they're contradicting each other. It seems to be that they're outright arguing with each other. One of these disputes is going to be about the guts and heart and soul of today's lecture. We talk about divine providence versus freedom of choice. There is a huge argument, seemingly, a huge dispute, what the definition of divine providence is. If you read the books, it seems to be that Maimonides, the famous Rambam, is outright in dispute. Not he's disputing with the Baal Shem Tov, because the Baal Shem Tov came many generations after him. But it seems to be that there's a clear dispute between the Baal Shem Tov and Maimonides on what the definition of divine providence, that everything is by God dealing with every single issue. There happens to be the famous story, the Baal Shem Tov was walking with his students, and he told the students, pick up that leaf. They picked up the leaf and they found a dehydrated worm there. And he said, now you know why the leaf fell off the tree at the precise time it did, and landed at the precise place that it did, because God was saving the dehydrated worm from dying. In Maimonides' teachings, this is not the case. So I want to share with you 
that what seems to be outright disputes where they're arguing with each other, where it seems to be one says the other is wrong and the other one says no, the other one's wrong. When you learn Hasidus, you'll notice that it's not disputes, it's layers. Let's take a famous example. Any yeshiva boy, anyone that opened up the Talmud will come across these two names. The school of Shammai and the school of Hillel. We have over here locally a school named after Hillel. Great sage. Him and Shammai seem to be arguing over everything. Their schools argue over everything. But when you learn Hasidus, you'll learn that they're not arguing, it's layers. There's two different layers in divine revelation and the reflection of those two different layers in the human infrastructure. Shammai and Hillel are arguing upon these two different layers. They're operating on two different layers. Hillel is operating on a layer called divine revelation called chesed, kindness, and Shammai is operating on a level of divine revelation called givurah, strictness, justice, perfection. And that is why today, when we are in a state of imperfection, whose ruling do we follow always? Hillel. When Mashiach comes and the world will then be on a level of perfection, we actually will stop following the rules of Hillel and we will follow the rules of Shammai. It's all about layers, not arguments. The Rambam and the Baal Shem Tov are also not arguing, they're dealing with different layers. The definition of divine providence, that God is in control of every single detail, really depends upon divine unification. To be more clear and not sound Kabbalistic here, it's the saying of God is everything and everything is God which allows for divine providence to exist. Because, let's go back to the story of the worm. If we're going to sit here and say that the great almighty God is busy with the hydrated worms, that is a desecration to his name. Oh, that's God, the great mighty God. That's what he's busy dealing with, the hydrated worms. So without understanding that God is everything and everything is God, that worm is a piece of God, God is one with that worm, then divine providence is a disgrace. Now we understand that Maimonides' opinion of divine providence is one layer. It was a certain layer of divine unification. And that's why in his teachings, divine providence is primarily only on the human race. Because that was already more honorable to talk about. We understand that unification. But to say that God and a worm is one was something that in Maimonides' days wasn't discussed and wasn't taught. Kabbalah then was off limits. Comes along the Baal Shem Tov, operating on a whole different layer of divine unification. We're clearly taught in Chassidus that that worm is a piece of God. God didn't go shopping at Home Depot when he created the world. God is everything and everything is he. So now it made sense to talk about a different layer of divine providence. Today's class is based on one of those many layers. You will find other places contradicting a lot of what I'm going to say today. But understand that what I'm saying today is one layer of divine providence. Guys, the introductions are over. Let's jump straight into what today's topic is all about. Guys, we need to talk about freedom of choice. What is freedom of choice? You know, when we talk about, God forbid, someone being mad at God. I'm mad at God. Look what you put me through. Look at my situation. I clearly believe in you. 
I clearly believe that everything that happens comes only from you. Everyone else is just a server. You are the cook. You are the boss. You are the one that destines everything that happens. That anger can only come, and, and I'm being honest about this anger. You know, many of us, oh, God forbid, I'm not mad at God. But then later I hear you're cursing away, you know, uh, and who are you cursing at? You're cursing at, uh, I don't want to use the words at God, but that's what you're believing, God. And you believe the reason that this happened is God. You know, there's the flip side of that, right? There's the guy who tells God, God, I'm so late, I'm so late to my appointment. If you can just find me a parking space, I promise you I'll give a donation. And as he's driving up, he sees someone pulling out of the space. Oh, oh forget it, God, I already found one. That's a whole different ball of pox. Such a person doesn't get mad at God. But when you believe that everything that happens, where I go, what happens, I missed the appointment, I made the appointment, the guy canceled the appointment, whatever happens, at the end of the day, God is everything and everything is God, and you get mad at God, I'm going to suggest today that that madness is based upon a confusion between two primary fundamental beliefs in Judaism that governs over the human race. Divine providence and freedom of choice. This is a topic that has been discussed through the ages of Jewish sages. But, truth be said, when I use the word divine providence and I use the word freedom of choice, it already becomes abstract by the scientific connotations of those names. So let's get rid of that. Let's get rid of the gap between us and the topic. Let's bring it down to human language. The real argument, the debate, is about acceptance versus hishtadlut. What does the word hishtadlut mean? Effort. There's acceptance because I believe it's divine providence. It's been predestined. I have nothing left to do but to accept it. And then there's hishtadlut. There's effort. Let me try harder. You know, there's a rabbi, I don't know who coined this saying, but uh, there's a quote to some rabbi that says, God does answer all prayers. Sometimes he says no. Now I've debated this statement with my teachers and you'll find a lot of it. I've, I've debated both sides of the coins with my teachers. I've debated what from proofs in Talmud and Hasidic quotes about yes, there could be an answer no and then no, there can't be an answer no. So I've debated both sides of the coins and you've heard some of that in, in my uh, lectures on prayer. Not for today. Today I want to deal with the issue that's on the table. That saying that God answers all prayers and sometimes he says no is a very dangerous saying for today. Because in it, I have a huge problem. Maybe it's not God answering no. Maybe if I was to pray deeper, maybe if I was to pray from a more altruistic place in my heart, Maybe God would answer yes. Maybe the problem is that I didn't really focus on my prayer. We all know what it means to mumble the words. Who says God answered no? Let me share something else with you. Huh. Maybe it's not about prayer at all. You know, they tell the story of this uh, guy who had 13 kids. And every day he prayed to God, please God, please God, I need to win the lottery, please. My wife is at this, my kids, everything, please. I don't have money. So finally, the angels interceded on his behalf. God, why don't you answer the man his prayer? Why don't you give him the lottery ticket? And God turns around to the angels and said, would you tell the fool to buy a lottery ticket? So maybe it's not about prayer. 
Maybe it's real hardcore hishtatlut. Maybe if I wouldn't procrastinate. Maybe if I would try hard. Maybe if I would do my due diligence. Maybe if I would go about it in a professional way and not think I have all the answers. Maybe I was willing to learn, willing to try harder. Maybe then I would succeed. So this saying that God says no to prayers is at the heart of today's lecture. Because if I pray to God and the only reason why I'm not succeeding is because God said no, then yeah, I can be mad at God. Because all my effort in the world won't help. It's not about my effort. I've been told by a rabbi with a long white beard that I prayed and God said no. So all the efforts you're going to do in the world isn't going to change anything. If God said no, it's no. And that causes a lot of frustration. And because we don't know the line between divine providence, i.e. acceptance, and freedom of choice, i.e. hishtadlut, just try harder. Stop being so lazy. Stop giving up. Stop having excuses. Stop blaming the world. Do what you got to do. My grandmother would always say, God says, you do and I will help. The other saying my grandmother always had in Yiddish, God blesses the hands that does for itself. Those are my grandmother's favorite sayings to me. It wasn't about pray, Hashem said, this is it, Avrumi, accept it. By the way, she was a Holocaust survivor. So out of all people to believe that Ishtadlut can still make a difference when they were completely dehumanized and had no control over their body, the life of her husband was taken, the life of a daughter was taken. And to hear that from such a woman, to me, is huge. So where does it happen? Where is that line? When am I blaming God, rightly so, because it is God to blame, in quote marks? Because God has predestined that this is Avrumi's destiny a lot? And when is it not? Leave God alone. He gave you an opportunity. He gave you talents. He gave you blessings. Get out of bed. Go make a difference. Stop being humble. Go take courses. Stop thinking you have the answers. Learn from other people. And on and on and on. This confusion is really what the title of today's lecture is all about. Maybe that's why we're mad at God. So first we need to define what is freedom of choice? What is divine providence? I'm going to share with you that today's Parsha is the perfect Parsha, Torah portion, to be giving this class. But Yeshev Yaakov and Jacob settled and Rashi tells us that the Torah portion opens with a prayer. God prayed, and you saw yesterday went out my uh, other um, audio class from Tuesday night. That was my Garden of Amuna class about Jacob's prayer for tranquility. Jacob prays for tranquility after such a difficult life. And what is his answer from God? Joseph, his favorite son, is sold by his own brothers into slavery, disappears for 22 years. Let's talk about this, guys. Not, I'm not repeating what that audio. That audio was about faith. I want to talk about something else today. The Talmud says as follows. Jacob was going to be led to Egypt. And how was he going to be led to Egypt? Because his son was sold to Egypt and eventually he will follow his son. Now, if you want to talk about predestined, there was nothing Jacob can do about that. Why? Because guys, read your Chumash. A couple of weeks ago, God made a covenant with Abraham. Your children shall be slaves in a nation, not theirs. And then the fourth generation will be brought back. 
And there you go, from Jacob down to Moses, four generations, Moses takes the Jews out of Egypt. There is nothing the Hishtadlut of Jacob could have done to change that destiny. All the effort in the world, fasting, praying, doing mitzvahs, everything would not have changed that because that was a covenant from God. Again, remember, one layer I'm sharing with you. I'm sure there are other layers. I myself have learned things that contradict what I'm saying right now. But I've also learned what I'm saying right now. We're focusing on this one layer. The predestined is the predestined. No. So then Jacob had a right to be mad at God. There's nothing I can do to change this. I was meant to lose my son for 22 years and then spend the last 17 years of my life with him, not at home, but in Egypt. It's a verse in the Torah. There's nothing Jacob could have done to change that. So you tell me, where's freedom of choice here? So I'll share with you what the Talmud says, what freedom of choice is. The Talmud says that Jacob was going to be taken to Egypt. However, the Talmud says he could have been taken with shackles or he could have gone as the father of the viceroy of Egypt. That's where Hishtadlut will make a difference. I am presenting to you a certain layer of belief which clearly defines the line between acceptance, divine providence, predestined, and freedom of choice, hishtadlut, effort, taking it by the horns and making a difference. And what is that clear line that you're hearing from me now? It's the difference between the how and the what. I said that backwards. The what and the how. The what, Jacob could do nothing about that. Jacob was coming to Egypt. Period. End of story. How he was going to come to Egypt, the Talmud tells us, effort, hishtadlut, would make all the difference. Will he go in shackles or will he go in the royal carriage? You know, there's a story, an amazing story that happened two generations ago. A famous chassid of the fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe, he was arrested sitting in a labor camp in Siberia. And that was under the Stalin anti-religion regime. A lot of chassidim were sent to Siberia. They were already the lucky ones. The other ones didn't make it out of the office of the KGB. And he's sitting there talking to his friend, who's also arrested, <laughs> a partner in crime. Both are running underground. Hey, they're doing their stuff, supporting the work of Judaism. He turns around to his friend and says, Oi, I should have listened to the Rebbe. We're talking about the fifth Lubavitch Rebbe. Two generations ago, Rebbe Rashab, Rebbe Shalom Ber of Lubavitch. He says, when I was by the Rebbe in a private audience, he told me that he read that they're building train tracks to Siberia. And he advised me to get into the business. Of course I had a mind to listen to the Rebbe. But my entire business was about precious gems, precious stones. And when I left the office thinking that I'm going to get involved, I got caught up with my business and I never did it. And then he turns to his friend and he says, the Rebbe saw that my soul will have to be in Siberia in order to accomplish some part of its mission. The Rebbe offered me to go as a businessman. I didn't listen and now I'm here as a prisoner. Do we now understand the clear picture of what the Talmud said about Jacob? He had a choice. But what was his choice? His choice wasn't about what was going to happen. His choice was about 
how it was going to happen. If we would just realize that automatically, a lot of my pain, a lot of my anger at God for what's happening, all of a sudden it begins to melt away. The confusion of what's God to blame for and what am I to blame for in my own situations starts becoming more clear. All of a sudden, the confusion clears, so the pain melts away and the anger dissipates. So point number one of today's lecture is a certain layer of understanding these two fundamental beliefs of Judaism and how they coincide. There is divine providence, there is freedom of choice, and they do coexist. In what we're sharing today, they coexist when we separate the what from the how. Jacob was going to Egypt. This Chassid was going to Siberia. Jacob went in royalty and this Chassid went as a prisoner. Hishtadlut, our effort, makes all the difference in the how, not so much in the what. What was meant for us to do will be done. If our soul has to be in a certain place to accomplish what it needs to accomplish, it will be brought there. If we need to go through certain situations to get in touch with individuals that their souls and our souls are meant to meet to fix something of a past life, we will meet. But what, and not the what, but the how we will meet. How we will get there. Hishtadlut will make all the difference. And suddenly, anger towards God for what you're going through begins to, the smoke begins to clear. The fire is small, the smoke is big. Most of us are more frustrated with the how that we're being put through than the what we're being put through. And if we can understand that and remove, remove Hashem, quote unquote, from the how when it comes to blaming Him, but realize that God only predestined what is going to happen, how it's going to happen, whether it be in a situation of luxury and comfort or whether it be one of pain and anger, that's up to Hishtadlut. That is completely up to Hishtadlut. Point number one. Point number two. Point number two is man-made or God-made. Remember I told you in the opening of the story that the Alter Rebbe said the time he spent in the house of the opponent, a couple of hours or hour, whatever it was, was more painful than the 53 days that he spent in prison. The previous Rebbe explained it. And let's talk about how the previous Rebbe explains it. I will tell you that I sat a long time thinking about what the previous Rebbe is saying because it's not easy to understand and you can go very wrong with it. I'm not sure I understood it right, but I'm going to share with you how I understand it. There is God-made struggles and there is man-made struggles. They're two different struggles, completely different struggles. There's God-made suffering and we go through what we go through because that was 
the deal that God made with the soul, the covenant that God made with the soul. Just like God made a covenant with Abraham, that before your children receive my Torah and conquer the land of Israel and build the holy temple, they will first have to spend four generations in Egypt. So too God makes with each soul a covenant that the soul accepts its journey to go through what it has to go through to fulfill its mission and experience and actualize certain potentials that are buried within it. They're God-made suffering. But then there's man-made suffering. Man-made suffering has no purpose, has no meaning. My friends, I'll share with you another story. A story of a man who was arrested and sentenced to 15 years of labor. And what was the 15 years of labor? He had to sit there and pedal. Pedal and pedal and pedal. And he was told that when you pedal, this pole is connected to the two big millstones outside. It sets them into motion and kernels are being turned into flour. And he sat there and pedaled and pedaled and pedaled. After 15 years, finally, hard labor, he's finally released. The day of liberation comes and he goes to see the mill, which he was pedaling. He sees a pole sticking out of the wall, connected to nowhere. He collapsed and died. You guys are familiar with the lyrics of a song called Running on Ice? There's a book written by Viktor Frankl where he discusses this whole issue. Man's search for meaning. Human beings can deal with an unbelievable amount of suffering as long as there's meaning and purpose to it. All of God-made suffering has meaning and purpose to it. Man-made suffering has no meaning and no purpose to it. We put ourselves into situations of pain and suffering and there's no destiny, there's no gain, there's no outcome to it. And for whatever reason, we just don't pull our head out of that bubble. We live within the suffering, we live within the pain, we quell from the pain, we don't bring an end to it, we don't unplug the nightmare, we keep it plugged in, we keep on giving it energy and there's nothing to be gained with it. God-made suffering are bridges, tunnels, birthing canals that take us to where we have to be within ourselves and where we have to be within the world to accomplish that which our soul needs to accomplish. We need to have a clear se separation, point number two, a clear separation between God-made suffering and man-made suffering. The madness that we have at everyone around us, at life, at destiny, at God, is in large the outcome of our frustration with meaningless, purposeless, man-made suffering. And once we separate that line, and once we really ask ourselves, is this God-made or is this man-made? then a whole change takes place. All of a sudden, we're not so mad at God, and if we're not foolish, we won't be so mad at ourselves. Because why waste time over the past? 
the first thing you need to do is stop the bleeding. Unplug the machine of destruction. Just pull your head out of that bubble. So once again, maybe so much that we're pointing a finger with such deep anger and pain at God, maybe it's not about God. Maybe what we're so frustrated about, so frustrated about, so in pain about, we feel so helpless about, we feel locked into this situation. And all of a sudden, in a moment of honesty, oops, it isn't God's predestined. I have sentenced myself to this situation. I have sentenced myself to this blockage. And every time I decide I'm going to make a change, I immediately line up the stones, the rocks, the pitfalls so that I can fall and then tell myself, you see, I tried. It's God. He said no. And I'm so mad at God for saying no. But it's not God made. Never was God made. And it isn't God made. And it won't be God made. Did you ever see that famous thing they have? on the wall, it's like a red thing with a circle, and it says bang head here. Most of us have one of those hanging in our life. We bang our head and scream at God, I can't believe you did this to me, it hurts. Bzets. I'm not judging anyone <laughs> because I've got the same red paper hanging in my wall, I do the same banging, and I do the same screaming at God, I do the same self-sabotage over and over and over to prove that this is God-made, predestined. There's nothing I can do about it. So I'm not here judging anyone anymore that I'm judging myself. But if we're going to deal with this honestly, if there's any hope of getting out of the situation, then we need to call a spade a spade. Most of what we're angry about is not God-made suffering. It's man-made suffering. Most of why we have an animosity to ourselves is not about the image God placed within us. It's the image we portrayed upon ourselves, with the help of some very loving people. But it isn't God made. So two points that I place on the table. And now let's close it up. In closing. Practically speaking, people, in closing, let us get practical and leave with two steps in how to deal with our getting mad at God. A. Stop fighting with the what is happening and focus our effort more on the how it is happening. The experience that we're complaining about may just turn out to be the most beautiful experience possible if we focus on the how instead of the what. May I share with you something personal? My wife's in Israel, which leaves me starting the minion at 7.05, shooting out of there to go ahead and take my kids to carpool, and then shooting from carpool up to Fort Lauderdale to have my baby placed in a, um, a, the preschool there. And that's why I need to finish on time today because I got to get back up there and pick him up. Now carpool for many, kvetch and kvetch and kvetch and life. Oh my God, I can't tell you what I heard about this carpool. Destroying people's lives. I want you to know that I made my strong resolution before it started that I was not going to call a single person to take carpool for me. I love the experience. I sit with my kids. They joke. We talk. I question them. The baby starts pulling her sister's hair. 
it becomes lively. I could have spent my entire time so frustrated. Now my wife leaves. Before Hanukkah, a carpool, baby. Could have gone on and on and on with the what was happening. And I guess just because I myself was preparing this class, I decided, no way. Let me focus on the how it's going to happen. So my kids set up everything the night before. I wake them up, 6.30, I turn on music in the house. I dress the baby, tell my oldest daughter, get to work, make sure everyone's up. I'll be back at 7.25 to pick you up. Like a charm. It's a beautiful experience for the kids and for me. There's no screaming, there's no nothing. That only can happen when you leave go of the what that's predestined and deal with the how, which is all about hishtadlut and effort. Second point, B. Stop and ask yourself whether the issue you are so mad about is a God-made suffering or is it a man-made suffering? If it's a man-made suffering, you know what to do, right? Just pull your head out of the bubble, unplug the machine. But what if it is a God-made suffering? If it is a God-made suffering, then find and focus on the meaning and purpose and destiny of it. Because if it's God-made, it has a meaning, it has a purpose, and it has a destiny. If you focus on it and live with the meaning, then the suffering is not such a big suffering. Guys, take care.